The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. We saw mostly consolidation trade on the day, Thursday, in the markets. Welcome into the show today. Thanks for joining us here once again and making us part of your day here on Market Talk as we discuss the markets and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always a pleasure, a lot to unpack in what was relatively a quiet trading day on Thursday. We did see a little bit of pressure develop in old crop corn and in casey wheat on the day, the Pressured old crop corn may be tied to the ethanol inventory and ethanol production numbers. A little bit of an increase there. Might have been a little bearish to the cord trade there. Saw some spreading between old and new crop with KC wheat. Maybe some lingering effects from moisture in the forecast in the KC wheat belt here this week. But overall, largely a consolidation day in the trade. Coming up here on the program today, we're going to talk markets later on in the show with Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing, get his thoughts and insight here into the uh, trade week this week and how things are shaping up headed to the weekend. Also, we're going to discuss a little bit about safety when it comes to burns, burn safety on on the farm at home. Jana Davidson, Progressive Agriculture Foundation, going to join us for our February safety message. That's coming up in segment two as well. Now, I mentioned in the markets, uh, largely consolidation day. We did get the USDA Ag Outlook Forum numbers out on Thursday morning early, but largely the trade didn't really react to the numbers. USDA calling for higher planted acreage of corn, soybeans, and wheat this year, uh, nearly 3% increase from 2022. Prices for all three crops projected to be lower, but remain elevated relative to historical averages over the past 10 years. The acreage numbers, the biggest number that the trade is uh, going to really be paying attention to. Corn projected to be 181.5 bushels an acre this year. Soybean yield 52 bushels an acre. And also the wheat yield 49.2 bushels an acre. We talked about those numbers and more with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, around midday on Thursday. And got Arlen's take on whether or not the USDA numbers really made any sort of difference in the market trade. That's where we start our conversation with Arlen Suderman. It's kind of a quiet consolidation day with a little bit of a softer tone to it across the board in the markets, be it the stocks or the commodities this morning. We see a little bit more bounce in the crude oil market. Um, But when you look at USDA's outlook form numbers that were released early this morning, not a big impact. We did see new crop November soybeans pop a little bit when the numbers first come out because USDA is not calling for an increase in acreage this year. Um, And the trade had been expecting that there would be an increase in acreage. But really what it all boils down to, the primary numbers that matter out of this week's USDA Outlook Forum are its yield estimates for the coming year. Not that those yield estimates 
you know, reflect any type of great wisdom or anything, but they are the yield estimates that will likely be in USDA's WASD report containing its first balance sheets for the 23-24 marketing year. So whether they're right or wrong, they're the numbers that will be traded when that balance sheet comes out. Essentially, most everything else that was released from USDA in those uh, outlooks this morning will probably change before the May um, WASD crop report that has those new 23-24 marketing year balance sheets in it. The acreage numbers that are in there are immaterial because USDA next week will be surveying farmers on what their actual intentions are. That will be reported on March 31. That is the acreage numbers that will be in the WASD report unless something dramatic happens to, to change the, those intentions ahead of the release of that May report. Uh, most of the usage numbers will also change but those yield numbers will probably be what USDA uses, and that does have some effect. Those yield numbers were record high for both corn and soybeans. In fact, the corn yield is almost five bushels above the previous record high. Now, Arlen, I know on top of those numbers uh, from USDA, really these markets, the backdrop here, geopolitical risks still out there. I know China, Russia at the forefront of that. I've seen some talk that Ukraine wants to extend the grain deal and maybe try to include a few more ports. Uh, so obviously a lot of geopolitical factors are going to be swirling around these markets uh, continuing for some time, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the market is now assuming that the grain initiative that allows grain to go out of three ports in the Odessa area will continue as it currently is, maybe a few tweaks here and there. Probably no ports added because Russian troops occupied territory too close to the Mykolaiv uh, ports that uh, Ukraine would like to see added to the list. You, and Russia is probably going to continue to slow walk the, expo uh, the inspections of those ships. And they also know that Ukraine's production is declining. So Ukraine's going to have a decreasing amount of grain to export over the next year or two, as well as this goes on. But the bottom line is, is the geopolitical risks are increasing. China has gotten involved directly this week, meeting with European leaders and meeting in Moscow with Russian leaders. Um, it's expected to propose a peace plan at the end of this week. Um, I do not expect that to be a peace plan that the West will find acceptable. Um, the question is, will China become involved by providing more lethal means of weapons for Russia to use to help defend itself? Because it's in China's best interest not to have Russia defeated in this war. And the West is determined to commit enough to Ukraine to prevent it from losing in this war. Meanwhile, we're also increasing tensions with the commitment, as Wall Street Journal reported this morning, to send more troops to Taiwan to help the training exercise sizes to help it defend itself against the Chinese attack as well. So we're at all-time highs in our, in our geopolitical risks with China and uh, perhaps with Russia as well. And also, real quick, livestock trade, cattle up a little bit today, hogs a little bit lower. I know with the cattle market, maybe some reaction to the news, uh, Brazil halting exports of beef to China as they found that mad cow disease uh, case, that BSE case in Brazil. Wondering if that's maybe the, the biggest driver in the cattle market today, Arlen. Yeah, and what a lot of people don't realize is China has very quietly become one of our top export customers of beef and uh, with the atypical case of uh, um, of a mad cow disease in Brazil and shipments from 
Brazil to China being shut off for the time being. That is expected to certainly provide some support for U.S. beef sales to China. That's providing some support. We already had strengthening fundamentals, but with our supplies tightening up, we'll get a cattle on feed report coming out tomorrow. Expected to show on feed numbers down nearly 4% from year-go levels as that trend continues due to our shrunken cow herd that's been contracting the last couple of years. Uh, our carcass weights continue to decline, um, and so beef supplies generally been running six to eight percent below year go levels in the weekly data and that's expected to continue and once again that's arlen suderman chief commodities economist at stone x talk to him for our midday commentary on thursday coming up later the show we're going to continue our market conversation with brian doherty senior market advisor at total farm marketing coming up next though we're going to talk about how to stay uh, safe and stay away from burn injuries at home or on the farm Jana Davidson with the Progressive Agriculture Foundation joins us next. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now for our February Progressive Agriculture Foundation safety message, pleased to have with us here once again our good friend Jana Davidson with the Progressive Agriculture Foundation. Jana, always a pleasure to catch up with you. I hope you're doing well. I am doing well, Jesse, and I hope you're doing well as well. Yeah, things are good here. Things are good here. Let's talk about burn-related injuries. How can we prevent these burn-related injuries. I know that is the topic you're talking about in the month of February, and specifically avoiding scalds. So let's start there. Why don't you talk about this a little bit, Jana? Sure. And the reason we're talking about this today, Jesse, is because February spotlights some burn-related incidents. So I think we just celebrated here February 5th through 11th um, National Burn Awareness Week. And this year, their focus was on scalds. So I thought this is a great time for us to and talk about that a little bit more and shed some light on what are some of the common ways that this happens so we can avoid them. Um, and just a few, I always like to start out with some statistics because some folks might be thinking, okay, is this really a concern? How bad are burn-related injuries? So here in the United States alone, annually, there's about 400,000 individuals uh, that seek medical attention for burn injuries each year. So that's that's a big number to begin with. And then if we look back at some 2020 data from uh, the Centers for Disease um, Control and Prevention, they said that burns were among the top 10 causes of non-fatal injuries in children under the age of four, but they were also among the five major causes of death um, in individuals 65 and under. So it affects all of us. Um, and they do say that 70% of burns happen in our home. And like most injuries, they happen when we least expect it. You know, no one's ever setting, setting ourselves up to, to have a burn uh, related injury, but they happen because we're multitaskers. We're trying to do sometimes too much, uh, doing things in a hurry. So I just wanted to shed some light today on some of the things that we could do to prevent them in the home. And then, well, I said 70% happen in the home, about 10% happen in the workplace, which could be our farm. So I think it's also nice to shed some light on things that we could be doing, not necessarily scald related um, incidents, but just burn related incidents that could happen on the farm and how we could you know, set ourselves up to be safe. 
Well, let's talk first about in the home. What are some things that we could do to prevent burn-related injuries at home, Jana? Okay. So the first one, a temperature check. Um, this could be if we have little ones at home and we have our, our bathing routine every night, just making sure that we're testing that water uh, before we put our child in there before, you know, as the water's running. This I noticed could really be a, a problem if you travel. So sometimes we, we know our water, you know, usually in our home, it's, it's worth checking, but we know kind of the, the temperature check. But I just recently traveled and, you know, going to a hotel room or, or staying at someone else's their temperature gauges are very different. Like there's sometimes the hot water is scalding hot. So we do need to check that and not just assure that, you know, it's going to be okay. Cause that could really um, lead our child or, you know, to setting them up for some burns um, that, you know, really as a parent, that would be just so detrimental to do that. Um, the other thing, kind of the same thing with temperature check. I, I know it's hard to think about it now in February, but as the weather gets nicer, uh, the kids are going to be heading outside to do some fun activities and, um, thinking about my kids or thinking myself, thinking about myself as a child, sprinklers and playing with the hose. That was always a fun time. Check the hose. Cause if you have it laying out in the heat and you start that water, it's going to come out scalding hot. So that's just another consideration too. temperature checks um, from the bath to the hose. Um, another one, avoiding a balancing act. This kind of goes with us multitasking. So never hold a child at the same time you're holding a hot beverage, uh, carrying hot foods, or you're cooking. Um, it, it's very, it's putting a child in a dangerous situation and again, can lead to that accidental spill um, or burn. So that's very important. Mm -hmm. uh, one way that you can do this is by establishing a kid-free zone. So that's uh, from the kitchen stove uh, to even cooking over a campfire, even if we're, we're getting ready here for, for the warmer months when we'll be outside. Ensure that all the, the children have a buffer of at least three feet in areas where, where cooking is going to happen or foods being prepared. It's just a safe practice. Um, and again, we, we kind of instill these practices too at our safety day. We always, when we're dealing with you know, not just food, but animals and things that could be a danger for a child. We always talk about barriers in place for that, for that child. Um, that's mm -hmm. just, and it's important when we're thinking about burns as well. Um, handle with care is our fourth. So when taking food out of the microwave, off the stove top, top from the oven, always use oven mitts. Um, and, you know, try to, you know, avoid any, um, you know, remove up spills, things like that, you know, in a timely manner, but also realize that those could be hot. Um, so just always take caution. Um, I, I think that's probably where we see a lot of burns, you know, some things, oh, get, especially out of the microwave, you know, mm -hmm. oh, it will be hot. And then it, it really is. And again, as you travel, same with, same with the, the water temperature, as you travel, um, different, microwaves, ovens, things like that have different, different temperatures. So, you know, you always have to be curious. We can't be too complacent because at home it's always fine. So that's just, that's a good thing to remember. And then lastly, safety on the go. So when we're preparing our morning cup of coffee, which we all know we have, um, tea, hot chocolate, things like that, even for the, the little ones, if they, if they leave with a hot chocolate, um, when you're heading out, just ensure that travel mug the lids fitting tightly. You know, I think we've heard years ago about burn related incidents that happen at, you know, fast food chains mm -hmm. happen. And I, and you think about it, they could have that chain reaction, right? You get burnt, 
and you're unexpected, you're driving and you may hit someone else. So it, it can cause a chain reaction. So again, ensure that those are, are good. We're using good travel mugs. The, the lids are on tight. So again, no one's going to get burned or uh, lead to a, lead to a bad situation. Jana, let's talk a little bit about on the farm and ranch. What are some things we need to remember there, not only for our children, but for adults as well? Yes, yes. So um, one thing is burn injuries are caused by heat, such as fire, electricity, and chemicals, which we know are very prevalent on our farm. So um, in addition to homes, explosions can happen uh, causing burn injuries every day on our farms. So it's important for us to use some extra precautions and keep children uh, safe uh, when they're on the farm. And this could be around, you know, equipment, chemicals, and even our stored crops. So just a few tips here too for uh, folks that are on the farm, do have children on the farm, here are some good tips to keep everyone safe. So for younger children, I always like to say establish that safe play area on the farm, um, a good distance from the hazards or moving equipment. So kind of think about that safe zone. We said when cooking, keep that safe zone on the farm. Um, so children know what's the play area versus what is the busy workplace. Um, that's really just gonna set again, set us up for success in keeping our children safe. Um, properly store chemicals in safe and secure locations and use signage uh, to indicate danger. So again, children who might not be able to read um, they do identify uh, what, you know, we always think about the Mr. Yuck sticker, but other stickers that are hazardous, they, they can identify that. But let's even take it a step further. Let's not even have them find that. Let's put it in a stored location where they do not have access to. Um, that's going to be probably our safest bet for our children. Um, let's implement and follow best practices around monitoring and managing grain to prevent fires and explosions. So, um, our, you know, grain related explosions happen a lot too. And again, when you least expect it. So again, let's keep not just our children safe, but everyone working on the farm safe and be cautious of that. And then for older youth who may be helping on the farm, um, ensure that tasks are always developmental developmentally appropriate for them and that they receive adequate training and um, what they're asked to do. And then also that they are wearing personal protective equipment. That PPE is key um, and that's going to be important whether they're handling chemicals um, around grain or using equipment. Again, whether it's burn related um, or other unsafe practices, we want to eliminate those um, by using that PPE. Fantastic. Well, I know folks can learn more online, progressiveag.org, and also could send their kids uh, possibly to an upcoming uh, Progressive Agriculture Safety Day here this year, can't they? That is true. We just kicked off our season on February 22nd with a first safety day in Kansas, and we have many more to go. It's looking like we have at least 400 planned this year. Um, so go to our website. We have a wonderful section. Actually, we have a new website. So please check it out, progressiveag.org. Um, on there, you will find a tab that says get involved and we can help match you up. If you're wanting to coordinate, if you're wanting to maybe volunteer to safety day, or you're just looking for some more information, we can help you um, go there and, and can kind of match you up on what you're looking for. And we will, we will give you more information about our program. Fantastic. Again, progressiveag.org, where you can find more information. Jana Davidson with the Progressive Agriculture Foundation. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this month. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jesse. All right. Up next, we're going to dive into the markets. Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing. He joins us on the way after the break. Back with more markets are right after this.
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, on Thursday's trade action, and it ended up being a rough day for old crop corn and KC hard red winter wheat as well. Markets mixed to lower, a bit of a consolidation day. Had those USDA Ag Outlook Forum numbers to take a peek at as well. Joining us here with market analysis, our good friend Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. Brian, always a pleasure, sir. Great to catch up with you again today On uh, as we were chatting a little bit, kind of a consolidation down day especially in old crop corn yeah kind of a tough day for sure you know technically it was uh, it was a bit of a beating and didn't look great and I, I couldn't really find necessarily like one thing maybe a combination of things another kind of down day in the equities like i think you're starting to see investors pull their wings in a little bit um what you've got friendly in the corn market outlook numbers this morning you know across the board higher Acres, higher yield, higher production, higher carryout, lower average farm price. A lot of stuff on the surface, not really bullish. You're getting moisture in the Midwest. The drought monitor map is shrinking. And you just don't have a lot of friendly news. So so you can look to Argentina and say, well, maybe a little dry there. Uh, for sure, that crop's been in trouble for some time. Uh, the Brazil, 40% harvested on beans making fast progress a lot more acres um we'll, we'll see where that goes so planting mm -hmm. could be behind a little bit but i don't think it's enough to concern the market it hasn't been for weeks so um yeah just kind of a really rough technical day pushed through some critical moving averages upward trend line and bollinger band all likely uncovering stop orders underneath yeah, that's a great point. You know, hitting some of those technical marks that uh, moved us. I wonder too, you know, corn was doing okay till about mid morning. And we got the ethanol numbers out, the weekly ethanol numbers. I wondered if maybe that was a, a little added pressure there in old crop corn to see some of that spread trade between old and new crop, Brian. Oh, I think so. I, I think I think the general concern. Well, let's back up a little bit. You know, the we talk. I mentioned the stock market. Stock market's been down. Mm -hmm. There's a concern of rising interest rate prices and 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 inflation. Those things that were kind of the same things that were plaguing us a little bit earlier on, and then it looked like the Fed was going to tempt it, uh, and they did. They slowed down to a quarter percent, and some apparently on the board had voiced their concern that they should have maybe went to a half. Now it looks like they need to go back to a half. So you you have that element, but um, the, the ethanol industry is a mature industry, so we need to see good numbers to reach maturity. If we're off a little bit, that might send a signal. Um, I, I, I still contend this, I contend that farmers have been readily selling corn right along, especially when prices rally. And so I'm not necessarily convinced that the, uh, elevators are are, are jumping through hoops. I, I don't know. Today was just one of those rough days. Bear spreading was a noted feature. 
I think traders were flipping some of those short wheat, long corn spreads. Uh, wheat's been down six days in a row. First two or three days, he had corn actually up and wheat down. So I think they're reversing those spreads. And then soybeans hung in there. And give them credit. They're hanging in there. But still, they look a little tired as well. Well, and you mentioned the Ag Outlook Forum numbers, and you highlighted the lower farm price, the acreage, talking higher acreage, corn, beans, and wheat. But then the yield numbers, too, talking if if it comes to fruition, record for corn and beans. What do you make of these outlook, Ag Outlook Forum numbers, Brian? I, I, it feels like some of them the trade watches, and then some of them the trade kind of just says, oh, okay, move on. Yeah, it, it, the, the whole acknowledge and move on has been – really sort of the format for this for a long time. They're, they are considered budgetary numbers, um, but people do look at this and when you're tighter supply and they start looking and say, well, what is the USDA thinking about acreage? So they pull an acreage number out. Where that actually comes from, um, probably in the bowels of the report somewhere explains their methodology, uh, but it's the same acreage number as a year ago. So it's up from actual acres because we planted less acres and harvested less because of weather conditions but um when you look at at the number it is a very um let's call it steady or stagnant number and then you look at the yield number so you got to take with a grain of salt that's a trend line yield number do we have the right weather to get there time will tell time will tell if the acreage number is accurate we'll have better boots let's call i always call boots on the ground survey process at the end of march to give us a better educated peak according to what farmers tell uh, the USDA. So, you know, I, I was of the opinion when I saw the numbers that, okay, and we're off a little bit, it's kind of old news, then corn fell apart. So <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm guessing that's all it is today because I don't have definitive analysis of this, that there were probably some funds who said, we've been hanging on to these long corn. It missed its opportunity mm -hmm. to rally last week, and we, we don't want to have too much long here. Well, and speaking of the funds, I wonder if you've heard anything on this. We haven't had CFTC commitment to traders data now for a couple of weeks. Are we going to see that on Friday? I, I, I think a lot of folks are anxious to see what some of these fund positions truly are throughout the market trade. Well, we, in theory, should have them Friday. Um, and it's been three weeks. And the curious for me, the, the curiosity is where that wheat number is because mm -hmm. wheat prices have been kind of gravitating upward, gravitating upward, gravitating upward, and then flip over and down 50, 60 cents in a week. And so the funds move out and then go back at it. Hopefully we get some perspective at least um, there. But that's another thing. When you look at the corn market, well, why did corn go down today? Well, when wheat drops 50 plus cents in a week, that's not always supportive of the corn. And a few other fundamental things I didn't mention, talk about India exporting some wheat and talk that uh, some of the feed wheat that Russia may be offering to the world market all competes for corn. So if you were bullish corn, you were really struggling to find some supportive news uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm, I'm, it just kind of looked to me like the bulls may have sort of trim their position or given up here. And then you get those unintended sales that I mentioned that stop wars are triggered. There's more selling that capitulates the market further downward.
Yeah, just kind of adds on, piles on a little bit. So if I take a look at things here, I'm I'm a farmer. I've maybe been doing some selling. I maybe looked at getting some new crop sales made, et cetera. I mean, as you look at things here, should we be thinking about getting a little more defensive, get some risk management positions in place more so than what we maybe have done already or haven't done at all, Brian? Yeah, so I, I think farmers have done, and I'd say you keep adding to it. You look at the calendar, and you look at it and say, well, look, it's February 23rd. Um, you know, we, we just don't seem to have friendly news right now. So I'm not saying sell everything, uh, but I'm saying be responsible and don't hold everything. These are still high prices from a long-term perspective. And even though we're down today, March corn is at 660. Remember, it was at five or 635 the first week of December. So we're still holding higher than we were. I would call today just really disappointing, kind of sobering that, ooh, all of a sudden we're at our lowest prices on that on that March contract. Today got got as low as we've been since, like I think I said, the mid mid part of January. It's, it's mm -hmm. like a five six week low. That's discouraging and breaking into some of those supports. So the easiest thing to do right now is probably nothing and say, oh, I don't like this. But if I did something before, it always came back. I, I don't want to rest on that right now. Um, we need to pick up this export sales pace. Um, the last three weeks have been good. I wouldn't say outstanding. And last week was the third lowest of the three. So you still have this trend where three weeks ago, the exports were better than were two weeks and last week. So we'll see what, what the number for this week brings. Uh, Monday was a holiday, so everything's pushed back. So we should have a number tomorrow. Um, uh, the bean market looks a little tired. The wheat market certainly looks tired. Um, so it's just sobering. Make sales, get current. Yeah. Well, and also, too, uh, obviously, we talk about this quite a bit, you know, sharpening the pencil and making sure that it pencils out for your specific operation, you know, making sure you know your positions and your break-evens. That's the biggest piece of all of this, Brian. Well, it certainly helps to have those numbers and guide you in your decisions. Um, still knowing your break-even even doesn't necessarily pull the trigger. So you got to be willing to pull the trigger if I could encourage uh, farmers is, you know, you, you produce a good, so you manage that inventory. There's lots of tools to do that. So there's the comfortable tools, which are cash sales. They all, all in the end, every sale has to be a cash sale. Um, but there are different methods other than storing in cash sales. So look at those and learn those, understand what it might look like to have a fence position on or, or a stop under the futures market or things that can help negate risk. If somebody had a stop under the market today, let's just say even two cents under yesterday's close in May corn, well, May corn closed 15 lower. So that stop might have got triggered and filled you at two, two and a half cents lower. And all of a sudden, it's a good defensive posture. And you didn't wake up thinking the May corn was going to be down 15 cents today, but it is. Well, once again, that's Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. We're going to continue our conversation with him coming up here after the break. A few of the closing numbers from the day on Thursday. Grains, March corn down 13 to three quarters, 660 to quarter. December new crop down six and a half, 585 and a half. March beans down five and a quarter, 1534 and a quarter. November beans down seven to three quarters, 1387 to three quarters. Bean meal for March up 50 cents a ton, 493.10. March bean oil down 79.6204. March Chicago wheat one to three quarters higher, 738 and a quarter. July down a quarter penny, 756 and a quarter. March KC wheat down 14 and a quarter, 861 to three quarters. Spring wheat March down six and a 
quarter, 908. Livestock, live cattle, February up 25, 165.15. April up 25, 165.32. Feeder cattle, March up 125, 189.22. April up 192, 193.67. And lean hogs, April down 35, 86.20. May up 20, 95.95. We'll continue with Market Talk on the way right after this. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing here on Market Talk. Brian, let's move over to livestock trade cattle. I know we have a cattle on feed report coming up on Friday. We saw a fairly good day in cattle trade Thursday. I'd have to think cheaper corn prices helped, but then I wonder if this news out of Brazil, the mad cow disease case, Brazilian exports being halted to China, I have to think maybe that played in a little bit to some positive market sentiment in cattle on the day Thursday. I don't think it hurt. Let's put it that way. Uh, so, you know, with the market today and the live futures, 17 to 25 higher isn't, you know, mm-hmm. some earth shattering day, but it, it certainly isn't down $2 either. And new highs established here the trend remains higher um yeah so the bulls got some more fodder today we don't know if this will be last long lasting or not or if this is you know just temporary until they kind of get this sorted out figured out you know in these cases here too i often wonder so china may halt the exports but Brazil still has beef, so where does it go? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if maybe finds its way in other channels, I, re- I really don't. I don't know. But um, supportive, but the feeder market really explosive. And and that goes back to what we've been talking about time and time and time again. It's just, our, you know, we hear our producers who buy f- feeders and put them in the – they're just not out there. Uh, they're tight, and their suppliers are saying they're tight, and this is what – $200 plus feeders on deferred months looks like very strong uptrend right now, trying to figure out what an equilibrium price is for feeders and what, what the market's willing to pay. I think it's also a belief in these feeders today up. Of course, you had pretty sharp down in corn, mm-hmm. but it's a belief that I think it's a belief that the drought monitor map is shrinking. There's moisture in the Midwest. There's reason to believe that there's a you know, every reason or reason to believe that there is a reason that we should have, you know, good corn crop this year. We're not well, going into this bone dry thing, at least, at least not the end of February. It doesn't look like it. No, not, not at all. And I think that's a great point you make about that drought monitor and, you know, mentioned it feeders and some of those deferred months, $200 plus. I mean, even some of these front months getting closer and closer. I look at April and May, mid one nineties. I mean, that's, you know, that's creeping up there as well. So to your point, very explosive feeder market. Cash country, too. Still waiting to see more activity here this week, but that all kind of plays into the picture as well, Brian. Oh, it does. And 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 that's the other side of the coin. So we've been talking about the supply side and this winter weather is supportive. I mean, we talked about the weather a little bit here in my home state. It's just sloppy, messy, and it's going to mm-hmm. get cold now. And it's 34 degrees at the moment. It'll be down to 12 tonight. And it, it's just everything's wet and a mess. So not the best conditions of course for for cattle in the lot or if they're exposed and you know this might be a zero weight gain day maybe tomorrow is too um looking at kind of big picture perspective we, we have to take into account that you know prices are moving higher and higher and that the consumer at some point may back off it almost seems 
to me in the beef market, at least, that the consumer is still willing to buy. They they've been cooped up for a couple of years. They're out. They're still going out to dinner. Everybody's cautious. We keep hearing, you know, about inflation's going to tame it. So, and the people are still chasing things. So, I wonder if the consumer. I don't know if they're being irresponsible, but they're just they're willing to spend the money. And I think people are willing to, you know, when you have kind of a lousy stock market, you get high prices here. Things aren't real good everywhere, so I wonder if people don't turn to comfort and go out to eat. I, that, <laughs> seems like they're willing yeah. to pay it. So, Very true. Very true. Yeah. Hog trade was relatively quiet on Thursday. Dairy market, last I looked, was uh, mixed lower. Any thoughts in hogs or dairy, Brian? Well, the hog, expect the high volatility, but again, we're looking for smaller numbers in hogs, so we, we can't get away from that. Um, and the summer months continue to you know, be really volatile. It wasn't much of a change today in the futures market. The dairy industry struggling. Milk production report out this week. Again, milk production increase, 1.3, I think it was 1.3%. It's just a market that's trying to produce its way out of too much supply. And that's typical in the dairy industry. We, we keep seeing this, repeat it. A little more cows, holding them, more milk per cow, more production and the consumer isn't gobbling it up and and so we just talk about beef prices being high but they sure don't seem to be willing to and maybe they are buying it high and they're not buying as much but it doesn't seem like we've got this extra demand and i think part of that is kind of like fluid milk i mean if you're a mm -hmm. stingy shopper and uh i can use my wife as a litmus test she was in the store if it's not a good price she's not buying it that way and and milk is in that category well, Brian, always appreciate the insight into the market trade. Any final thoughts you have for us here today? Well, I think today was sort of a warning shot across the bow on old crop corn, just how fast things can go down. I've been kind of preaching that for a long time, that when things tip over, they drop fast. And this is not last year. There, there is no worry about whether I'm going to get fertilizer. It seems like everybody's got fertilizer. Natural gas has been on a decline. USDA numbers are not bullish. You know, in, in January, I remind you, they, they cut harvested acres, but added yield. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you didn't get a win out of that. Um, so things are snug, but expectations are for increased production in the year ahead. So just recognize how fast things can kind of fall apart. New crop corn and bean prices still at very high and respectable levels historically. Don't be afraid to get started. Well, Brian, if folks have questions, need some advice, they can reach out to you. I know at Total Farm Marketing, what's the best way to get in touch? Best way is a phone call, 800-334-9779, Jesse. Otherwise, what I'd ask is uh, if you want to send me an email, it's Brian with a Y, and that's Brian at TotalFarmMarketing.com. And then we've got a good website to look at there, www.TotalFarmMarketing.com. Good resources there. Uh, got some good booklets there, and, uh, different marketing tools to take a look at. Uh, no charge to any of that. So our goal is to help farmers be informed, and we think we do a good job of that. Well, we appreciate your time and insight. Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. Have a great weekend, sir. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Jesse. You as well. And once again, that website, totalfarmmarketing.com. And we appreciate Brian's time as always. That's going to do it for Market Talk here today. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day.
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.